Would you bow your heads with me in prayer this morning? Our Lord, how desperately we come to you for grace this morning. In a room full of sinners, there is not one of us who have lived perfectly. But in you, all grace and all love and compassion and mercy and forgiveness is found. And so in this moment, would you give us all of those things? Would you soften our callous hearts? Would you unblock our deaf ears? May faith and love for you grow today as we hear from your word. And it's impossible for us to do this on our own strength. And so we need your help. We need your help to uh, make us hear, make us believe. And so, God, we, we pray for that right now. It's in Christ's name that we do pray. Amen. Uh, most people don't wake up in the morning looking forward to their failures. If anything, we shy away from our failures or we try to diminish them or we try to ignore them. Right? We've got Photoshop that helps us to remove the imperfections that we have physically. Uh, we have Facebook that helps us to remove the imperfections that we have socially. Right? I think we have this pressure, we feel this pressure to not appear, appear imperfect or incompetent or useless. Right? If you've ever drafted a resume, for example, uh, we're all virtually flawless in those resumes. Right? When, when, when we read it, you see outstanding accolades. We see an impressive history filled with the most intriguing facts about yourself. Or think about when you are in a job interview. Right? When someone asks you on the other end, what's your, what's your greatest weakness? What's the stuff that we come up and, and say? We usually say something like, you know, my greatest weakness is that I love productivity too much. Or that I just love excellence too much. Or I'm, I'm too loyal to the people that I work for. I love success. That's, that's my greatest weakness, I'll admit it. Right? That's, that's the kind of stuff that we say. No one's ever going to answer, I tend to be really lazy when it comes to work. Right? No one's going to answer, I, I have anger management issues that I'm trying to work through but can't seem to resolve. That's not the stuff that we put on because we've got to appear worthwhile. We've got to appear strong and, and competent in life. Uh, because how can something that's weak and incompetent or broken be useful at all? Uh, there's a man by the name of Sir Edward Elgar. He was a famous uh, British composer of music from the 1800s. And there's an account once of him being invited to sit in on this vocalist who's going to actually be performing one of his songs. And so he's invited to sit in, and he listens. And as this singer uh, begins to sing with, with flawless and beautiful perfection, right? She, she hits the notes beautifully without, without any error. Right? Every, every pitch, every, every, every beat, every note, she hits right on. And so uh, he, this man, he's, he's asked, you know, you've, you've listened to this performance. What's your thoughts about it? And what Elgar says is this. After the performance, when he was asked, she, he says this. Listen, it was a beautiful performance, a flawless pitch and an exquisite technique. All of it was beautiful. But she will be great. When something happens to her that breaks her heart, right? she will be great when something happens to her that breaks her heart. In other words, Elgar was saying this, that her beautiful voice, right, her pristine pitch, her flawless technique was missing something. It was missing something to be gained only through the brokenness that she would one day feel that would break her heart. Why would we ever embrace brokenness? Why would we ever consider weakness as anything other than a liability? The reality of this morning, as we even come into this 
building. The reality is that though we might seem composed on the outside like as if we have everything together, the reality is that for many of us this morning, we come in feeling like we're dying on the inside. That's the reality. Can we at least here this morning, on a Sunday morning, just breathe and say, I, I actually don't have it all figured out. I actually am projecting an image out there that's not actually true of what's inside here. I actually have a lot, of, a lot of weaknesses. I have a lot of frailties and sins and doubts and fears and insecurities, and that's who I am. I don't want to always smile. right? I, I am a broken person. Uh, but one of the questions that we get asked as we think through that is, is it possible that our imperfect words, our, our flawed attempts to get this life right, even our sins or the perceptions that people might have of us, is it possible that all that stuff, all the bad, is it possible that all those things can be made for something good? Friends, nothing in society, nothing in this world will make us convince or affirm this notion that brokenness or weakness can be made useful. But I think today, as, as we've read, as Jess has read for us from the Gospel of Mark, I, we're going to meet a man named Peter, and I think his story will show us that amazing stories emerge from brokenness. And what should have been tossed away because of utter failure is restored. Peter is one of those guys, right? He's one of those guys that you would just love to hang out with. You'd, you'd want to watch some football with him or grab a coffee with him. Because why? Uh, because I think when we look at Peter, when we see Peter's life, we actually see him in us. We, we see ourselves in him, right? Why? I, because I think even when you think of Peter's life, if you know some stories of the gospel and know about Peter, I think when you think of Peter, what comes to your mind more quickly is his failures rather than his triumphs. Because when you think about your own life, what comes more quickly to your own mind are your failures more than your triumphs. And so this morning, we're going to consider this man Peter and how he fails tremendously. But in that, my hope for us this morning is to see that it is not all over for him. And the way we, that we see that is not by looking more at Peter, but by looking at the God that he knew and the God that knew him. And as we look at Peter's life, as we consider his story, here's what he will show us. Here's sort of the big idea of what I want us to hear today. That we all fail God. But God never fails his children. We all fail God, but God never fails his children. And so would you grab a Bible and turn with me to Mark 14? It's on page 851 in the black Bibles in front of you. And we're going to walk through a few different scenes today uh, with Peter. And the first is starting here in Mark 14, verses 26, as Jesus predicts Peter's denial. All right, so reading from verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn... They went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Uh, as we've just said a couple of weeks ago, Jesus 
in a few short words, predicts that these men who have followed him for all of these years will soon leave him. Right? You've got to think of that. That's kind of a big pill to swallow. Right? They're the ones who've traveled night and day with Jesus. They're the ones who have ate with him. They're the ones who've joked with him. They're the ones who have seen his life for three plus years. They've watched all of this happen. They've They've seen people heal. They've seen people rise from death. Those kinds of things are not images that you can just shake off and say, well, that was cool. I'm going to move on. They've seen Jesus. They walked with Jesus. And so why would Jesus ever say that they're going to, they're going to leave? How could you leave from something like that? And we can sort of understand Peter's response. He seems offended at this thought. And when you, when you see Peter in the gospel, in Mark especially, right, uh, when, whenever Peter comes in on the scene, uh, with the exception of a few times, you always know when Peter shows up, something is going to go south, right? Something is going to be a little off about Peter. Because we've seen in this gospel, Jesus called Peter Satan. We've, we've seen Jesus, uh, Peter ask some odd questions and make some odd requests. We've even seen a couple of weeks ago, Peter thinking the best move was to cut off someone's ear when Jesus was threatened. I mean, and that's the Peter that we're dealing with. He, he's not always all there. Peter's like the one friend that you always have to make an excuse for, right? He's like the guy who you always have to say, oh, no, Peter, he didn't mean it that way. No, no, he did not mean it that way. Oh, he cut someone's ear off? Oh, no, no, he didn't mean to cut that. I mean, you can't, you can't make an excuse for this guy. He, he doesn't think like us. He's, he thinks often very odd thoughts. And so, again, here this morning, we're going to see Peter has an opinion. And as always... He's going to be wrong. And now Peter thinks Jesus is actually wrong, right? We're going, to, we're going to see Peter again challenge Jesus. And here's what he says. Here's what Peter's two cents are to Jesus. Verse 29 says, And Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. Even though they all fall away, I will not. And it's subtle but, but do you see how Peter makes his point across to convince Jesus that he's not going to fall away? He throws the other 11 disciples under the bus. You notice that? He's, he's pretty much saying, Jesus, listen. Listen, I totally understand your lack of faith in these guys. Right? I, I understand. I've had my own doubts about their faithfulness. And that's what, but not me, not me, Jesus. I, I'm with you. We're, we're good. But I, I get we won't tell them, but I get your, your lack of faith in them. And meanwhile, the p- disciples are probably thinking, you scumbag, Peter. Why would you throw us under the bus to just make your own point? But that's what Peter does. Peter's a lot like us in many ways, and we're going to see that. And as well-meaning as Peter is, and as much as he believes that he'll not leave Jesus, Jesus straight up tells Peter this in verse seven, in 30. I'm telling you, Peter, on this very night... On this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. Every ounce of trust and faith and strength that you think you have will not even last the night. He's saying to Peter, in a matter of hours, you're going to act like you don't even know me. No, I won't. In fact, they're going to have to kill me. They're going to have to kill me because I'll never deny you. That's what Peter says. Peter can't imagine failing his Lord. Peter cannot imagine that he doesn't have what it takes. Peter cannot imagine that he's going to be the one that messes it up. Right? He, he can't be the guy. Peter is so sure of himself, right? 
He, he is so sure of himself, but do not mistake his bold claims for faith in God. It's not. It's not, it's not faith in God. It's Peter trying to convince himself. It's Peter trying to convince others that he's got it together, that there are no fractures, there's no blemishes in his life that would make him stumble. But listen, if you consider the context of this passage, right, it's easy for Peter to make this claim right now because things haven't gotten very dicey yet. There's been a couple of things, but they're relatively safe. They're, they're, they're not much under threat right now. But what happens when he's pushed up against the ropes and following Jesus becomes hard? Uh, what happens when the good life becomes the unbearable life? Will Jesus still be worth pursuing and following and dying for? I think what this text does is it confronts us with the integrity of our own Christian faith. It makes us think, if we were Peter, well, in our own lives, what bold claims we, do we make with our mouths, but we cannot carry out in the real life? Right? How quick are we to talk about our faith and our strength, only to find out that all of that is useless? So from this scene with Jesus, Peter and the disciples, we're going to jump from Peter's last words to Jesus, right? So we're in this scene. Jesus predicted Peter is going to deny. We have this scene. And then it ends with these last words that Peter says, I will not deny you. It's going to shift from this stage to another stage. And on this second stage, we're going to see whether or not what Peter said, if it's actually going to come true. We're going to see if all the talk, all the big talk that he's been doing, if it's going to be true. Be true. And so in verse 66, we jump there. And so uh, we're going to skip this, but we've preached through this, these sections between before, right? So it goes from the prediction of uh, Peter's now to now whether or not it's going to happen. And so let me just give you sort of a summary of what's happened b- between these scenes. Right? Peter says to Jesus, I'll not deny you. And what happens next is Judas actually comes into the scene and he's the one who actually betrays Jesus, And then Jesus is arrested, he's betrayed, he's now taken into the court of the the high priest, into his home, and he's being tried. And what I want us to see is that while that trial is happening, while Jesus is being put on trial, that Peter, in verse 54, as we saw last week, Peter actually follows him at a distance. He walks into the courtyard. So it's almost as if, while Jesus is being put on trial, up top in the living room with the high priest, Peter is also following alongside, and he's getting comfortable by the fire. That's what we read last week, right? Probably sitting along the very people that arrested Jesus. And so you've got, you've got Jesus on trial up here. And it's actually Peter down there who's also being put on trial at the same time. These, these events, Jesus' trial and Peter's trial, they're actually happening at the very same time. They're not consecutive events. And so that's what Mark shows us. It says that while Jesus, while Peter entered into the, co- uh, into the courtyard, Jesus is being put on trial. But that same time, we're going to see in verse 66, that Peter's in a different type of trial at the same time. And I think Mark puts these two trials beside one another in this way so that we can compare these two trials and side by side so that we might be able to appreciate what's really going on here. And so as this transitions to the home of the high priest, we have a brief hope for Peter. We have brief hope for Peter. Because he walks in. He walks in. It's, it's at a safe distance, but he walks in close behind Jesus. It's risky. It's, it's, he's vulnerable. 
right? I think, I think the reality is if, if we were with these disciples, we probably would have packed our bags and joined the other disciples and said, you know what, it was a good run, but we're gone. We're, we're done. That was nice while it lasted, but we're gone. But Peter tries hard to stay true to the words he's just told Jesus. I'm not going to deny you. I'm not going to betray you. I'm with you. And so he follows, even at about a distance, he follows. It's pretty impressive. It's good. But all of his big talk and all of his lofty claims are going to be silenced by a monumental collapse. Verse 66 And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. Listen, it doesn't take much time. Or much effort to get Peter to withdraw his bold fidelity to Jesus. All it took was a young servant girl. In the first century, that was about the lowest on the totem pole that you can be, a young servant girl. And Peter is undone by her in less than a minute, in a few seconds. Peter puts on a charade and tries to make her seem like the absurd one. He says, I don't even understand the words that are coming out of your mouth. This servant girl says that Peter was with Jesus, the Nazarene. The tone of what she says, it was not just a fact. It was said with contempt. It was said with sort of sarcasm, sort of like saying, oh, you're from Dallas. My wife's from Dallas. I can say stuff like that. We, we pick on Dallas all the time. They produce wonderful people. But I've got, I've got to take my moments. And as Peter talks, as Peter talks, she can almost hear this person's cadence. She can hear the accent of Peter because Nazareth is actually up north and Judah, where they are right now, is actually down south. And so they speak differently. They talk differently. There's a different cadence in his voice. And she's saying to her, you're not from around here, are you? You're not from around here. And Peter, he hears that. Here's the accusation and he caves. He caves. He denies Jesus at the mere question from a servant girl. And you can almost feel Peter standing on this mountaintop full of surety that he will stand. And you can begin to feel the ground beneath him start to crumble. And so, as Peter is being found out, he runs to the gateway, and soon as he does, what does he hear? The rooster crows. It's what Jesus said would happen. When he heard that first rooster It should have been sobering. It should have straightened him out. If anything, maybe he should just run at this point, right? Because desertion is one thing, but to actively deny Christ? Yesterday, I went paintballing with a few friends for a bachelor party, and it was 28-degree weather. There was 15 inches of snow that we're trekking through. We went a little north. And it was, it was intense. And you know, the, the people who come out for 28-degree weather and 15 inches of snow, they're the crazies that come out. They're the really intense paintballers, right? And I remember at one point crouching behind this barricade, just trying to keep away from all the bullets that were flying all over the place. And all of a sudden, this guy comes up to me out of nowhere, and he says, hey, man, we're going to be okay. I'm like, where'd you come from? He's like, we're going to make it, man. We're going we're gonna to be okay. He has smoke grenades and paint grenades and all kinds of grenades. And he's saying, we're going to be okay. We're going to make it, man. I'm like, who are you? Where'd you come from? And I remember thinking in that moment, 
you know what? I don't need this. I'm in 28 degree weather, 15 inches of snow, my pants are wet, my socks are wet, I, there's no prize at the end of this, it's not like I'm fighting a real war. And I thought, you know what, it's easier just if I left right now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave. I'm, I didn't because I care about what he thinks about me, so I stayed and we fought. But if I deserted him, right, that would be a bad thing, that would be a terrible thing because I'm supposed to have his back, I'm supposed to be there for him. We're on a team, we're together, we're fighting together. If I deserted him, that would be a terrible thing. But it would be even more terrible if I didn't just desert him. But if I joined in on the other side and I acted as if I had no connection with him at all. right? To not only leave him, but in my denial of him, also to not defend him as if he's my enemy. And so listen, if a young servant girl... <laughs> If a young servant girl is going to make Peter deny Christ, my goodness, if you give him just a couple more hours, what is he going to do when he's tried again? What, what else is going to happen? There's going to be all kinds of things that can happen. So I think he's better off just running at this point, but no. Peter thinks, you know, that, that's one. That was one strike. That, that was a fluke. But I'm up to bat again, and I'm going to knock this next one out of the park. That's strike one, but I'm going to ne- knock this next one out of the park. You'll see. I've got this. But the pitch comes again and quickly. And strike two. Verse 69 reads like this. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. This servant girl almost acts as if she's Peter's conscience, right? Right? She points him out to some other people and says, he's one of those men. He's one of those troublemakers that was with Jesus. He's one of the people who Jesus is on trial up there, and he's with, with him. He's one of them. And all kinds of thoughts must be running through Peter's mind right now. And don't these kinds of moments happen for us often? Right? Where we are confronted with a decision to follow or deny Jesus. A decision to perhaps turn away from that image and to not indulge. Or maybe a decision to show kindness to your enemy or to not enact revenge. Or perhaps even like Peter, to proclaim Christ boldly or to just outright deny him. This week as I was prepping this very sermon, as I was prepping at a coffee shop, I had my commentaries all scattered across the table. I had my Bible on the table And I'm reading through this account of Peter, and with my commentaries and my Bible sitting on the table, you know what I did? I flipped over the commentaries so that you couldn't see the titles. I didn't want anybody to see exposition to the gospel of Mark. I I took my Bible, and I put it on my lap, because I didn't want anybody to know what I was reading. I didn't know anybody to, to know what I was preaching, what I was preparing for. And in that moment, the irony hit me, my heart sunk, because I realized I am Peter. As I'm reading these words from Scripture of the faithless and weak Peter, who denies his Lord, I follow suit, and I follow in his path, and I do the same thing as pathetic Peter. We all deny Jesus all the time. Right? We passionately speak of him and we love him, we really do, and we want everyone to know about him. 
But our best intentions often prove useless. Right? For you, what's it like for you at, at work? What's it like for you with your friends and your neighbors and your family and coworkers, all of it? When your decisions, right, when, you're, when, when you respond to people, when, when you have people in your life and your faith in Jesus collides with theirs or their, their different philosophy, when your decisions and your lifestyle and your views don't align with the people that you actually love and respect and want to be approved by, when they don't fall in line, how do you respond? Friends, there is a lot that we can relate to with Peter on this day in this courtyard of denial. He's not a lone offender. And now, a third time. It says, and after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you're a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I don't know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. And he broke and he wept. More people start coming around Peter. Right? Peter does not want to be the focal point of this scene. Right? It's bad news if people start to realize who he is. But people start to gather around him and they accuse him of being one of Jesus' disciples. And Peter finally loses it. He loses it. It says that he invokes a curse. And in the Bibles that we're reading today out of in the ESV, it says that he invoked this curse on himself. But some translators have actually pointed out that there's really good reason to translate this as not invoking a curse on himself, but actually invoking a curse on someone else to save his own skin. Being so adamant in his opposition that he must vehemently curse someone else. And this is not just Peter cursing, right? A four-letter word. It's stronger than that. It's worse than that. And who is it that someone that he is cursing? Who is that pointed towards? Jesus. It's Jesus. He says, you want proof that I don't know him? I curse him. And he swears on it. I don't even know of this man that you tell me of. I don't even know who you're talking about. Peter can't even say his name. Peter does not even say his name. One pastor wrote, This is a strikingly dismissive way for Peter to speak of the person whom he previously hailed as the Christ. This is the Peter who in chapter 8 in Mark proclaimed with such beauty and accuracy, you, Jesus, are the Christ. But now, he's unable to even say his name, let alone affirm him as his master and as his Lord. You think of Peter. What a tremendous fall. What a horrible fall. All the more shocking because of how sure Peter was that he would not deny Christ, and yet all he did was deny Christ in the most dramatic fashion. And as the second rooster crows, as you hear it, it's as if the reality of what just happened begins to crash on Peter's soul. And the only thing that he can do is fall on his knees, break down, and weep. Uh, What a tragedy. 
what a monumental failure and collapse for Peter. But don't forget, there's another trial taking place at the same time. Right upstairs, while Peter is interrogated, Jesus is upstairs, also being interrogated, being put on trial. There's a drama unfolding upstairs with Jesus on trial, and there's a drama unfolding downstairs with Peter on trial. But as one pastor puts it, the answer to all of the predicament to Peter's denial downstairs is to be found in that which is taking place upstairs. And so it's not enough this morning for us to just look at Peter. It's not enough because Jesus is upstairs. And would you see, Jesus is charged with something that's not true. Peter, he's charged with something that is true. Jesus is confronted by the most powerful people in Jerusalem, and Jesus stands his ground. Peter is confronted by the most weak people in Jerusalem, the weakest person in Jerusalem, and he proves to be a coward. Everything that Jesus predicts about Peter happens. Nothing that Peter predicted about himself happens. Jesus is condemned. Peter is let go. And in this moment, would you know that Jesus was fully aware that Peter would fail and deny him? How do we know this? Jesus predicted that this very moment would happen. Jesus knew that this would break Peter. Jesus knew that he would weep. Jesus knew that he would be utterly destroyed by this. But Jesus knew that he would get through this as well. How do we know this? Uh, Mark doesn't show us this detail, but in Luke's gospel, when Jesus predicted Peter's denial, just a scene before that we, we saw in Mark, here's what he tells Peter. Behold, Satan demanded to have you and to sift you like wheat. But Peter, I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus prays for Peter for this very moment. Jesus interceded for him. The compassion of Christ to tell Peter that he prayed for the very person that would deny him three times. This is the Son of God praying on behalf of the sinner to the Father. May he not fail. May he not fall away. Luke's gospel also tells us one other interesting detail that Mark does not. It tells us that when Peter denied Jesus the third and final time, right, when, the, when that second rooster crowed and he, he failed him and denied him three times, Luke's gospel tells that at that moment, as soon as he denied him the third time, Jesus looks at Peter. He turns. It actually says that he turns and looks at Peter square in the eyes. What must that look have been like? Was it condemning? Was Jesus expressing to Peter through his eyes, I knew you were worthless. I knew you had nothing in you. I knew you would fail. You, are, you, you and Judas, you're the same. You guys are disappointed. I'm done with you. You are a disappointment. I am done with you. No. Not our Lord. 
And think of this. This is happening at the same time, and what just happened? Jesus' face, bloody and swollen, spit on his face, having been just beaten because he's been condemned. With love in his eyes, with love in his eyes, remembers that he prayed for Peter for this very moment. Jesus has not counted Peter out because of his failure. No, because the story of Peter doesn't end with the collapse at this courtyard. This is not the last of Peter that we're going to hear. But Peter's mentioned again, by name, right before the end of Mark's gospel in chapter 16. After Jesus dies, right, some women come around to his tomb to, to visit. And they notice that the, the stone has been removed, it's been rolled away. And there's a man sitting there, perhaps an angel of the Lord. And this is what he says to them. Do not be alarmed you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him down. But go, tell his disciples. And Peter. Wouldn't you think that Peter's included with just the statement of, go tell the disciples? Don't you think he's just already included? Isn't he already included in that word? Wouldn't that have covered it? Because isn't he one of the disciples? And you, you think, you see his name again. The last time you saw that name was at the denial of Christ. And this man mentions Peter again. Isn't he one of the disciples? You think back. Aren't you one of the disciples, Peter? Aren't you with him? No, I'm not with him. I'm not, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know who that man is. No, you're, you're with him. I don't know. I swear I don't know. No, Peter, you're with him. And when Peter's mentioned here again, we are reminded of the fact that Peter is still with him. That might be why Peter is mentioned by name specifically to show you he's not gone, he's, he's not left. Go tell the disciples and Peter. No, Peter, you're one of them. And in fact, several days later, when the risen Christ meets Peter, right? It's, a, it's an odd scene. The risen Christ comes and meets the disciples and Peter, and they're, they're having breakfast around a fire. Right? Wouldn't that be the, Peter's now with Jesus. Wouldn't that be the most awkward thing? The last he saw Jesus, he's denied him. You can imagine Jesus saying, you know what, Thomas, would you ask Peter to pass me the bacon? I cannot ask him directly. I'm just, I'm, I'm livid with him. I can't stand Peter. I don't want to look at his face. Peter must have thought, this is going to be very awkward for me. But they're around a table. And instead of condemnation, you know what Jesus does? You remember, Peter denied Jesus three times, right? And how many times does Jesus ask this next question? He's going to ask him three questions, all the same. He's going to say three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And without qualification or boast or self-righteousness, Peter says, this time, not denying, Jesus, you know I love you. You know I love you. You know that I love you. Jesus gives him a chance at restoration. Jesus gives him a chance to not deny him, but to show yeah, you've, broke, you've been broken. You've, you've failed. But you're with me. You are with me. And what does Jesus say after this? 
He asks him, do you love me? Peter says three times, yes, I do. And this is what Jesus says to him. Okay, Peter, you're in charge. Feed my sheep. So the failure who denied Jesus, Peter, becomes the one who would lead Jesus' church forward so that people might know Christ. Do you think of that? What happens with Peter? What's, what's Peter's legacy that we see in the scriptures? The church grows from 120 people to thousands. And in Acts 4, we're going to see G, a Peter before a council, under question. They're telling him, you should not speak. You, you cannot speak of Jesus' name again. And here's what Peter says. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must be the judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Listen, despite Peter's collapse, look at him speak of Jesus. Despite Peter's denial, look at him speak of the Jesus that he failed and the Jesus that restored him. In fact, he would go on to die as a martyr, crucified upside down so that he would convey, I'm not worthy to die like Jesus. <laughs> That's Peter's legacy. That's how Peter ended his life. I, I never cease to be amazed at the fact that God calls people like Peter. I'm even more dumbfounded that God would call people like me to his service. You can ask my wife. You can ask, you can ask people who are close to me. You, you know, oh God, my failures. You know my weaknesses. You know my sins. You know the insecurities that I, that I have. Why would you take me and put me on the front lines of your service? And you think for yourself, why would Jesus take people like you, people who have failures and sins and doubts and insecurities and things that you wrestle with and are not sure of. Why would Jesus take you and put you on the front lines of proclaiming this gospel to him? We who try to cover up our failures, we who try to make less of them, we who are ashamed of Jesus. And to all of that, Jesus says, yeah, you're the right man for the job. You're the right woman for the job. I've picked you out to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And even for Peter, how does he move on from his monumental failure when Jesus needed him the most? Wouldn't you just, wouldn't you just be done? You think of Judas, right? Judas comes to mind. Judas betrayed. He, he failed Jesus miserably. And he never came back. Why? Because that's a, that's a hard thing to come back from. And so how do you move on from such a terrible display of disloyalty and abandonment and shame? Because as one preacher puts it, 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 Jesus tells Peter this. Listen, you've failed, you've denied, you've sinned, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to plunge your failures into my grace. Plunge your failures into my grace. What do I mean by that? Listen, are any of you unsatisfied in life this morning? Are any of you unfulfilled in life? Do you have disappointments? Do you have failures and sins? Do you wish things worked out a different way? Has, has something you've done set you back? Are you ashamed? Do you feel like you're living a plan B life because you've really messed things up? 
What Jesus is telling us, if you come to me with all of that, it does not matter how badly you've screwed up. It does not matter that things did not work out the way that you thought. It does not matter that you have disappointments. Those things are hard. But here's what I'm telling you. If you come to me with all of that, I will take every weakness and I'll take every sin and I'll take every failure and plunge that into my grace. And what I'll do with, this, with that is I'll turn that thing into your good and my glory. Jesus would take our failures Jesus would take the things that we're ashamed of, the things that we did not measure up to, and turn it around for his glory and turn what was plan B into plan A. And that's the good news of the gospel. Peter's denial was not unknown to Jesus. He knew Peter. He knew what would happen. And through his failure and sin and denial, look what God has, hap- look what God has done. He's taken Peter's failure, told him to put his trust in him, There is no plan B if you trust in Christ. There's only plan A. And Christ Jesus has made Peter. The mistakes he's made. All of that worked worked together for his good. And all of us here this morning, we benefit from even Peter's failures. And it's to God's glory. He does not look at you and say, when you fail, I knew you were worthless. I knew you didn't have what it took. No, he says, I knew you would fail. But plunge your failure into my grace and watch me use that very thing for your good and for my glory. So as we consider Peter's life, Jesus predicting that he would deny him, Peter actually denying him, being broken and now being restored by Christ, being used by Christ in his vineyard, what can we learn from Peter? I think one thing that we can learn is that the best of us can fail. Peter was the best of them. He was the one who on Jesus would build the church. Peter was that person. But also that the worst of us receives grace. Peter was both of those things. Listen, he had some really high highs and some really low lows. The best of us can fail and will fail. The worst of us receives grace. Friends, whether you are a Christian or not this morning, this means that we can be honest about our sin to ourselves and to others because we are so convinced of God's grace. that You don't have to put up an image. You don't have to put up an image of yourself or hide your failures because the God who restores Peter is the one who can restore all sinners, including you, including me this morning. The one who knew the vulnerabilities of we- and weaknesses of Peter is the one who knows yours. Do you have sin this morning that you are hiding? Do you have weaknesses that you don't want anyone to see? Would you free yourself this morning from the deception of your own heart? Would you be honest for a second? And would you, would you let yourself breathe? Say, I'm not all put together. I've got a lot of failures. I've got a lot of fears. And would you hear that Jesus is ready to receive you, to forgive you, to restore you, if you would just turn to him? Allow this posture of freedom from condemnation, right? Freedom from approval, approval of others. Freedom from pride and arrogance to make you a witness of Christ who is humbled by what God has done for you And that 
allows you to be a messenger, a witness of Christ to your friends, to your neighbors, to your co-workers, to your family, to anybody you would come across to the ends of the earth, knowing that you are freed from your sins, you have nothing to prove, and because of that, you are set free to, to live in freedom, to live in grace, though you sin, though you fail. Because Peter did plenty of that even after this. I want to close just with one more thought. Uh, we've all seen roosters on top of a weather vane, on top of a building, perhaps like a farmhouse, right? We've seen roosters on top of a weather vane. Did you know the symbol, this symbol of roosters on top of a building actually started out on the uh, top of church steeples uh, because of this story? Because of this story, uh, it was a way to remind people when they walked into church and when they walked out of church, when they saw the steeple top from their homes and saw the rooster, when they would walk down the path, it would remind them, I must be true to my Lord. I must not deny my Christ. So they would put a rooster on the church steeple to always say, always confess Christ, never deny him. But what happens when we do deny and when we don't confess Christ and when we do fail? Peter would tell us this, don't look at roosters all day. There is another symbol that defines us. And there is another symbol that can be found atop church buildings all over the world. And that is the cross. We will not be faithful witnesses of Christ by seeing the gaze of roosters all day, knowing that we're going to fail and just trying to be better. And when we fail, we just feel like failures again. We will be courageous witnesses when we remember that he was faithful, not us. And the rooster reminds us rightly of our need to remain faithful. That's right. But the cross, let that remind you of the one who did remain faithful for you. And so Sevmal wrote again, would you be reminded that we all fail God, but God will never fail his children. Let's pray.